right. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Ann Snyder, and I am the editor of Comet Magazine, which is a journal of public theology for the common good, and I get to be your guest host today. Today, our, our guest is Tony Bancroft, who is a celebrated animator, director, and professor who's perhaps most well-known for having been the lead animator for some of Disney's most classic films, namely Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Aladdin, Mulan, and others. And I hear all those, and I think that is my childhood in color. <laughs> so, um, Tony, welcome. It's really nice to meet you and just honored to get a little brief chance to chat today. Thanks, Anne. And it's funny that you say that because I get that comment from, you know, now my students I'm teaching at the University of in Lipscomb here in Nashville, Lipscomb University. And uh, yeah, my students always come up to me and say, you created my childhood. It's it's so it's real. real. It's it is. Yeah. The, and and I'm not sure like 30 year old, but like just that generational cap of like 80s, 90s childhood. And so and we'll talk a bit about hopefully that era of Disney movies in particular. So anyways, yeah. it's very fun. Um, I, so let's just I just would love to introduce listeners to you or a little bit to your story and just your kind of vocational arc. Um I, you know, animation seems like something almost like working in a candy store, like every kid in the late 20th, 21st century would just dream of getting to do with their lives. So how did you get so lucky? How did you get into it? And, you know, what was your path to becoming an animator? Well, I have a hard time talking about my, uh, my past and, and rise to uh, drawing and animating without talking about my twin brother, because I do have a twin brother and Tom and I were like joined at the hip when it came to our interest in animation and drawing. And so ever since we were little kids, we were doodling and drawing and had sketchbooks. And, and just as other brothers are competitive with sports, like football, you know, or say something like that, um, we were competitive with our art. We'd be over each other's shoulders and like, oh, you can do that better and or draw it like this. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we we're, you know, really tough on each other. But I think, you know, as the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. And I think that was really effective for us both to really, um, you know, propel to a higher level probably than than our friends next door. Yeah. Did you so you had this companion in your twin brother and you guys in a way sounds a little bit like yin and yang. Um, yeah. Did you, in the broader context of peers at school um, or on the playground or whatever, did you feel like you saw the world a little bit differently than other kids? Um, yeah, I think so. We we always had a real, we had a single mom, single parent family. That's where we came from. Um, older sister. And, you know, there was always just this kind of feeling that we were, you know, part, we were kind of partnered up. And we, we grew up in a, in a in a childhood or an area in Long Beach, California, where uh, it was kind of a tough, poor area. And my mom being a single mom, she's working all the time. So we were kind of latchkey kids. But what it fostered was a sense of imagination. We watched a lot of cartoons, of course, when we were little in the 80s and stuff. And then um, on top of it, we were just we just had a lot of time to ourselves where we could just um, imagine things, create little comics, read comic books. We were very into comic books, comic strips at the time. Um, Charles Schultz, uh, you know, I was like my idol when I was a kid who did the Peanuts uh, yeah. um, comic strip and Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson, uh, you know, and then all the Marvel comic books. So we just had, uh, I think Tom and I just really soaked up and went into this kind of world of imagination where story and character really drove everything. 
Hmm. And I imagine that holds true to this day in many ways. Do you like what? I'm sure there's a million things, but if you could name, I don't know, top five, top 10, like what are the sorts of things that inspire you when you create? Is it something in nature or a book you've read or maybe a dream you've had? Oh, um, or is sometimes does it just feel actually much more mysterious than that? It's not necessarily coming from, from like from something concrete in the world. Yeah, when I was younger, I would say um, my my inspirations were those things that I talked about earlier, which is comic strips, comic books. Yeah. As I matured a little bit and got into art school or, or, or even like college a little bit, I, I would start to really study life. And uh, I was really inspired by God's beauty of design and what um, what was around me in the world started to have a greater effect on me. And then as I got older, I started really, I've always actually, even since I was a child, I studied other artists too. I was always greatly inspired by um the artists that went before me. Um, I mentioned Charles Schultz and Bill Watterson already, but there was a plethora of other artists that uh, drew comics uh, at Marvel. And, um, <laughs> and then anim when I got into animation later in college, which I didn't really catch, a catch that fire um, until college age. But then I started studying all the animators, the nine old men of Disney animation mm. and what their, not only their personality traits, but how they drew and what, what, what their speciality was it yeah. always fascinated me to see how uh, creators of worlds and characters, whether they were cartoonists or animators or whatever, how they created their craft, you know? Yeah. And, and I, even to the, down to the thing of like, I, I used to read these geeky magazines where it would go into what the, what the artists used in the way of a, a brush or a, or the kind of ink that they use. And I'd go out and buy those things and I would just, just to be more like them. Oh. Um, so, um, yeah, but for inspiration, I, I, I would say that it, um, in my younger younger years, it was trying to emulate the heroes I had. And I, I always tell my students, too, I feel like, you know, we we stand on the shoulders of giants. There's so many that have come before me that I'm just so inspired by. Um, yeah. And that's been a big part of my life is just following that inspiration and now trying to turn that into, you know, what is my vision for the world? And through animation, through cartooning, you know, what are the things that I think are funny um, and how do I bring those things out for the next generation? Right. Yeah. I, I love you just sort of um, acknowledging the role of exemplars. I <clears throat> remember early, I didn't know I was necessarily going to be a writer and I had some fears like, oh, writers are so isolated and solitary in their creative process. What if you love people? Is that a problem? <laughs> and I had sort of some older more experienced folks who are in various, whether it was fiction or nonfiction or journalism, say, just find a few writers you really like somehow. You don't necessarily need to love their persona. I think writers aren't always known to be the best people. <laughs> um, but just like, just just seep yourself in their prose style, in there, and and something by osmosis will will occur. And I and I think right. sometimes we don't always, we get to a point where we start taking so much credit for what we've created and you sort of forget the shaping webs that came behind us. Um, that's true. So that's, I just really appreciate you mentioning well, that's that. That's true. I mean, I think I, I, I learn more from my brother even uh, that was right next to me in the same yeah. bedroom when we were growing up than I did from a lot of books that I read. And we, even though we were on the same journey and we were at the same level, um, there was something about seeing another artist growing and learning things that I could pick up on a lot quicker because I could see him 
um, learning different lessons uh, along the way and growing to a next level. And then that inspired me to grow to that next level and kind of soak everything in. So we really did, there was something about Tom and I, I think that just we fed off of where we were and we couldn't, we couldn't grow and learn fast enough. Right. At that young age, uh, when we were like in, from elementary school on through college, we were just soaking up so much information. And, you know, and this is a time when there was no internet, you know, we right. had to go to the library to find the two or three books on. What's animation. that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. What's a library anymore? Um, you know, but I tell my students that kind of stuff too. And they're like, Oh my gosh, that's like ancient history. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but also so much fodder for, you know, I think in some ways maybe more open canvases to really create without distraction. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to get nostalgic necessarily, but what you just said about your brother, I've been reading a bit, some of these farewells to Serena Williams off the tennis court. And she oh. keeps saying there'd be no Serena without Venus, you know, uh-huh. like there was that sort of mutual feeding yeah. off, I think early on. And sometimes that can be wonderfully competitive as it sounds like it was. And then of course the fun and not, you know, just to share the joy of a creative process and a pursuit with someone very yeah. as a gift. Um, I want to dig in a little bit more to, I mean, on the backs of this question, kind of what inspires you to create, where do you get inspiration? You're in this very, I would think as an animator, you're in this very interesting middle space between reality and fantasy and mm-hmm. imagination and what is. Um, when you're, designing a character or even just the shapes of a character, like the features, mm-hmm. colors, um, you know, we could even talk about, I feel like lines of, and design of course have evolved in my lifetime in animation. Yeah. Um, what are you trying to do? Are Like, are you, it sounds like sometimes you want to make people laugh. Sometimes I would think you want to really honor um whether it's a specific particular cultural rendering or a particular like dispositional trait. Um, I just, if you could flesh out a little for me, like what's going through your head when you're really polishing a figure that's going to be something in the world real, even if it's created by you. Um, Just what, like this, the constraints you feel and also the motivations to make sure you're like, what's actually motivating the final arc of the character it, visually yeah, yeah. And so uh, I, that's a great question Anne. and and it's very similar I'm sure for you as a writer um I, it starts with questions you know I yeah. start to ask myself questions about what I'm creating you know um I, I don't just like see a fully rendered image in my head and then reproduce it there is a conjuring there is a, a certain alchemy I guess um that starts with who is this character um, you know, uh, what type of personality are they? Um, what is their role in maybe a bigger story that I have in my head or just that's starting to come to fruition? Um, and that all manifests itself into a design style, a look. Um, you know, are they, if it's like a fantasy character, like a little, I like to draw little trolls and I, I do a lot of mice actually. I don't know why. Oh, interesting. Is, <laughs> my mom says it's because when I was uh, in the hospital as a child, I, I had surgery on my mouth and, oh. um, th- and she brought me a little mouse stuffed animal to, because it was the first time I had to sleep by myself in a oh, hospital and I was scared. Yeah. And, alone. and she brought this little mouse stuffed animal and that, and having that by my side, 
I think I just had this affinity for mice and, and it grew into like a love of Mickey Mouse, who I love to draw all the time. And yeah. um, I created my own series called Lenny and Sid and was about a rabbit and a mouse character. And so, mm. you know, I don't know why I have this affinity for mice, but I think it started with a uh, mouse, my little stuffed animal. But anyway, um, you know, when I'm drawing, like, say, a mouse character, I, I'm, uh, I oftentimes will draw them as like a warrior or, you know, a swordsman or something because I like to juxtapose you know kind of elements and I think that's the fantasy element right is to juxtapose elements of real life um, yeah. you know a mouse a, a real mouse with a fantasy element of, of giving them a humanistic persona or something like that so they're on two legs you know they're in a little outfit of some kind they're wearing clothes you know very much like Stuart Little or something like that, you know, um, which was also a, a favorite of mine. And I worked on Stuart Little too, that also mm. had a mouse. So yeah. Um, I don't know. It starts with just, like I said, it starts with the questioning, uh, who is this character? What are they doing? You know, even if it's just a spot drawing that I'm doing where I'm just kind of having fun doodling a, a little character, yeah. I'm still asking myself, you know, what makes them unique? Uh, who are they? You know, what's their, what are they up to? What's their action? And that's where I kind of come from, from the beginning of conjuring some kind of look of a character design. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, and I'm, I'm just sort of <laughs> chuckling knowing probably little did your mother know when she gave you that mouse, like, um, I have oh, like geez. multiple <laughs> Disney renderings of yeah. mice that are probably because of you that are in my head. And I'm like, that is like, now that little mouse is sort of universalized. <laughs> well, yeah. She takes credit for it. <clears throat> I just worked on a Disney film recently, as a matter of fact, I, which I think I could talk about officially because it's been um, announced already, but disenchanted, which is a sequel to the movie enchanted that Disney did um, yes. like over 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, that has some animation in it, some 2D animation, what we call traditional animation. Um, and I, I did these, they're not uh, mice, they're little chipmunks, uh, but very similarly related. So I animated all the chipmunks and in that movie. So I, you know, yeah, it's, it's all very related. I like doing little animals and critters and things like that. It's but so I've also done, you know, a warthog, a Pumbaa, the warthog. Yes. I've also done a clock, Cogsworth and Beating the Beast and Yago the parrot and Aladdin and Kronk and Emperor's New Groove um, uh, and and then directed Mulan, co-directed Mulan. So um, yeah, but usually always comedy, fantasy type characters. Yeah, that's so, well, I have to thank you for Mulan, by the way, offline. I have such a story about Mulan when I was about seven, seventh, eighth grade. I, I got to play her right as the movie, right after the movie came out, like in just a little middle school oh. play <laughs> musical. Oh, and um, I had grown up in Hong Kong. And so I had, anyways, I just remember my whole like trying to be Mulan, though I don't have Asian heritage. And um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful film. And uh, I, I loved the, that sort of decision and direction Disney went. Um, yeah, me too. I, so I, you know, obviously we all favor the, or we, I think it's just human to favor the, um, cultural features that defined our childhoods, our particular childhoods as like the best. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's all been downhill since there. And I'm not going to say that about Disney films, but I do think there's probably at least amongst my peer group and probably even our parents, like who were, 
you know, sharing Disney films with their kids. There was a sense that those films that you were involved in that I mentioned at the outset, Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, um, Mulan, and what there was this sort of golden era of the that are a little different. And we can actually talk about sort of, the, I, I have some observations that may not be correct about sort of even the different like moral terrain of movies then versus now that Disney is involved in both. Um, but just generally, it seemed like there was such a creative ferment specifically in that time, the mm -hmm. sort of creative atmosphere around Disney. Like, why were those movies so good? <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, uh, it, it usually... Um, I always think of, uh, you know, success in, uh, for artists and, and whenever there's like a kind of a, a creative push or a, a jump ahead in creativity, it's usually because it came after, um, a disparaging time creatively or a hard mm -hmm. time for artists. And, and mm -hmm. it was a, a kind of a breaking out point. Um, so right before little mermaid that, yeah. and, and really right before, uh, even before little mermaid was, um, uh, Roger rabbit who framed Roger rabbit which yeah. was a turning point in a lot of ways. And then Little Mermaid was a much bigger turning point and then so on and so on up to Lion King. Um, but um, before that, it was kind of a dark time. They were talking about shutting down Disney feature animation. Um, they were going to send it overseas because it just cost, cost too much. So maybe animated in, you know, in India or uh, Canada or China or something like that. Um just to save money. And so they, they, the studio itself was starting to give up on animation. And then uh, all of a sudden we got a new president of animation that came in and um, Michael Eisner and, and Jeffrey Katzenberg came in. And instead of kind of wrapping it up and getting rid of it, they saw that there was like a, a hidden jewel there and gave it support, you know, and, and breathed new life into it really by just not even doing much. They were pretty hands off in the beginning, which is really what artists like and need the most. It's, it's usually things are destroyed uh, uh, creatively when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, obviously, mm. yeah. um, which happened later on. I would say it's the downfall of the nineties was uh, when we had too much success, uh, the opposite happens and people wanted to all be involved and all have a say in the creative direction of things. And it, it spoiled things. Um, yeah. But before that, it was like, we had a lot of time to develop things. And we had, um, there was a younger generation that came in that was greatly influenced by the past and that wanted to do something different. Yeah. And so we started talking about different kinds of stories and then you know, and then the, the musical, the Disney musical became a thing, you know, let's bring in so, um, songwriters and musicians from Broadway that could really bring uh, our storytelling to another level through music. Um, and that was a big part of kind of the, the Disney princess movies of the 90s with was that the songs, they would always, there would be a lot of singing and, um, and that was new, that had never been done in, in Disney animation before. So yeah bring in those elements those new fresh elements um ignited the audience in a bigger a bigger way than we expected i mean yeah. at the time really saw um how the uh, it was just kind of the perfect storm in a lot of ways mm -hmm. the 90s mm -hmm. was. but it started with um artists feeling um like there was no creativity and there was no no way to break out of the mold and then uh, a younger generation that refused to acknowledge that refused to yeah. go back trying Accept to that. Yeah. push the boundaries. Yeah. 
Right, right. Well, that gives me a lot of hope. I mean, I, I, some of my closest friends are artists and musicians and they, it's funny, sometimes they'll like, um, interrogate their own lives and say, I haven't suffered enough to be a truly great artist. <laughs> like, yeah, great yeah. art requires. And I get that. Um, of course, none of us want to have, but at a broader cultural level, it's fascinating where you sort of talk about the fallow ground that, that somehow yield, like was just the precipitating factor to an unleashing of a renaissance, it sounds like, um, yeah. and that pattern throughout history. And, you know, maybe gives me hope as I just even thinking about the pandemic the last few years. And um, mm. that's really interesting. I, you know, I, and you, I realize you probably can only say so much, you're not representing Disney or anything, but I yeah. am curious, like, um, in tr- how, like, people like me would view the film world as, like very culturally, um, cultural drivers in many ways, but also like all of any sector is sort of a mirror of a, we're like downstream from broader cultural currents. Um, and I remember it was so funny. It was just a vivid memory a few years ago when, um, Fro- the movie frozen came out and it was such yeah. a huge deal amongst young girls and let it go. Let yeah. It, yeah. All that. And I, you know, it was interesting. And I, 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 liked the film fine I didn't quite understand I was like maybe this is the Titanic like what the Titanic was for my middle school years that's what this is for like five-year-olds it's just so um and and I went around that time I was babysitting some very young nephews and nieces and um I was actually at my grandparents house and they had an old VHS of The Rescuers which is a sort of a lesser known Disney film yeah. um but so we watched it with, it was like a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old. And then I had a peer my age, sort of fellow babysitting. And um, the kids, like a couple of them got very, very scared. Mm-hmm. And I was just struck by the darker, in some ways, the darker energy and spirit of that older Disney film, which was a little bit more about, you know, of course, there was an orphan character. Um uh, sort of evils beyond the self where it feels like now some of the moral dramas and Disney films are about like finding your true self and like looking within and I'm making very broad generalizations here, but this is a long yeah. runway to ask. <laughs> are there conscious conversations happening in design production sort of um, like, yeah, the creative plot narration shop of a bit huge film company like this to sort of, or do you think it's just unconscious that we're just reflecting kind of the emphases and currents of our day insofar as what we feel like the concerns are that we need to either present before children or does that make yeah. sense? Like almost like the psychology in different eras of, yeah, of what and- is the nature of the drama of life? Yeah. And I, I don't know if you're getting towards like, um, if you're, if you're heading towards like, um, is there an agenda of like putting well, in socially it, relevant elements? I mean, I, we, I, I could ask that. I mean, I, you could, you could address that if you wanted, but I'm less, it's less about that and more, I think just wondering, yeah, how conscious, I'm just curious about the background conversations as stories yeah. are narrated. And, well, the- I, you know, and, and it is a, it is an interesting question to ponder because absolutely, I think, and you would know this as a creative yourself, Anne, but when we're, when we're developing something, we're greatly influenced by, you know, where we're at at that moment. And we yeah. make things as creatives because we love it. You know, we want to see we want to tell a story that we'd be interested in sitting as an audience. And so we're, we're usually at Disney. We were always, 
our biggest audience was ourselves and each other. Um, and so we made films and told stories that, you know, we would want to hear that we enjoyed, um, and, and going to fantasy worlds and stuff like that, or seeing, you know, uh, over the top villains or something that was because that we, we were into that and we wanted to see those kind of stories told. Um, so uh, there is that personal element that affects everything that we do. We, we're not really, I think the hardest and probably the worst thing that a creative can do is try and make, um, make a film just for a very specific audience, because we all have a different idea of what that audience is. And we're probably very wrong right. about where the audience's head is at any yeah. given time, but we know what we like and we know what, um, you know, so I think there has to be a, a letting go, if mm -hmm. you will, of, and a freedom in, as a creative to kind of go, I don't know if this is going to play. It's a real risk. I don't know if this is going to be something that people gravitate to, but I know I'm into this and I'm having fun with it. And I just want to continue having fun and make this movie. Um, and, and I, and I think the best things come from that. Um, yeah. but on top of that and a little bit closer to where you were going, I think is that, yeah, we're, um, we're also very influenced as artists and creatives about, you know, what we see around us, kind of the state of the world a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I think in the past at Disney, there was always a sense of let's not be too uh, on the nose with things that are happening in the world because we want this to be evergreen. We want right. these films to be um, unhindered by, um, you know, a time period or anything like that. So they can be universal and that they can be evergreen. Uh, for the audiences to come. Uh, I would say that's changed a little bit uh, over the years. Um, and as a Christian, I'm not really happy with, I haven't worked for Disney since 2000. So I think I need mm. to say that up front. Yeah. I'm not a Disney employee. I, yeah. I was a Disney employee for many years, but it was mostly during the 90s. And I've been out of Disney longer than I was in Disney at this point in my life, but I've been in animation for 30 years. I do a podcast uh, about animation with my twin brother, the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. So I, I try and stay very relevant to the animation industry and to Disney particularly. I have a fondness and a love for Disney and I have a lot of friends that are still in the Disney walls. Um, so I know a lot about, you know, not only where it's, where it's come from because I was a part of that era but also where it is today and how it's, how it's come to that point. And it is as a Christian and a believer and as an audience member more than I am a creator at Disney, I'm disappointed, you know, in, yeah. in how much of an agenda has um, bubbled up there at, at Disney feature animation. And it comes from the top, you know, it's the executives that are usually not very creative or additive to the stories, but they are, they're always trying to push for like, well, you know, people groups uh, in, in this area are going to want this or, and they tend to be very liberal. They tend to be very um, biased in, in uh, their world viewpoints um, towards a very liberal agenda. And, and even though, um, you know, in the past, we never wanted to talk about politics or get any of that into the films. Now it's such a big part of the world that we live in that it's permeating um, yeah. into into the culture of entertainment. Um, right. and, and I really do think of it that way is that, you know, entertainment has become such an important part of our, our culture, particularly in the U S yeah. that uh, of course it's going to start to permeate. Um, yeah. And the leaders at Disney are not Christians and they never have been, you know? Right. So uh, at least for the most part, I mean, there has been a, a small handful. I was one, 
And then there's been a couple other animators and stuff that were pro professed to be Christians. And so they had a different value, uh, value and uh, a, a viewpoint. And, um, and we were able to affect change in some ways in the stories that we were telling. Like Mulan, for example, um, you know, people have asked me in the past, like, well, uh, how is how as a Christian were you able to, uh, or why as a Christian uh, did you have any mention of like filial piety or Buddhism? You know, there's like little in the background, there's little sculptures of Buddha sometimes, very little, mm -hmm. but there is some in, in Mulan. And they're like, you know, why would you do that? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm a director, but I don't own the company and, you know, I, I can't make all the decisions. Um, and second of all, um, Barry Cook and I, my co-director and I, we were both Christians. Uh, we are both Christians. And what we decided at that time was that we were going to do our best to honor the culture, honor the history of what that, of that dynasty that Mulan, we were portraying her in. And at, during that time, you know, uh, it was probably uh, 90% Buddhist uh, in, in China, you know, so you can't ignore that. That's a big element of and it also is where the filial piety of, you know, honoring your ancestors and all that, that's very rooted and deeply rooted as a, a spiritual philosophy for um, uh, uh, family values and things and where everything comes from. It's a very spiritual thing for them right. um, in honoring their ancestors and, and really living their lives to honor their ancestors. There's a certain responsibility there. That's a very foreign concept for us in the U.S. So, um but it became a very important concept in the story of Mulan and why, right. what was her motivation, why she did things. Right. So you can't ignore that because it's a central motivation for the character. Right. But then it's a matter of how do you portray it? Right. So we chose to, <laughs> um, a bold choice, but uh, we chose to kind of make fun of it a little bit. And so mm -hmm. when the ancestors get together, it's like a, a town hall meeting and there's a lot of arguing and, you know, just like you would expect at a family event. So we personified um, what could have been, uh, you know, honored in a very reverent way. We chose to make uh, take a comedic turn yeah. who the ancestors were, um, but still showing the value that it's important and it was important for Mulan to um, to honor her parents and go off to war and, and make the choices that she did. Um well, it was, it was actually really, the, it was a dishonoring move that she did. But then Mushu, of course, is going to rectify that by right. being on the, the better path yes. at home. And, uh, and all, you know, all craziness lets loose after that. Yes. Oh, I'm going to have to rewatch it tonight. You're, bring, you're bringing me back, way back in time. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can imagine like the sort of the weight of some of these knowing, you know, you're in this case, you're navigating cross cultures and the weight of knowing potential controversies and portrayal. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, and as you just said, increasingly nothing is politically neutral. It has set seeped into every sphere. No, and, and I also have people that come up to me and say, wow, you guys were so progressive in um, showing a strong female um, back then in the, the late 90s, um, where before that, all the Disney princesses were relying upon, you That's know, the Prince Charming to come save them in some way, you know, mm -hmm. um, they didn't have certain powers by themselves. And we wanted to show Mulan to be um, a person that was strong on their own. And really, she doesn't change herself. And this is the thing that I'm probably most proud of, I think, 
about this. I have three daughters. And so when, when we were making Mulan, we were starting to have very young daughters, little babies and stuff like that. But, and, and my, my co-director Barry also had daughters and we felt a certain responsibility to them to create, you know, the new generation of a female heroine uh, for Disney um, and, and not be the kind of the same you know, kind of a, a needy, I don't know, princess of the past. Right. So um, we, we we really had that, that was our agenda, I guess. Is, but it really came from a personal place of being fathers to daughters and mm-hmm. wanting to, uh, knowing that Disney films had a, a larger impact on society and in a way and culture and in a lot of ways, um, we found that to be a big responsibility that we took on to make Mulan unique and different she doesn't change in the story arc of who she is she really changes how society views the role of a woman in ancient china mm. and so you know and and that's no no better way to show that than the emperor of china himself bows to her at the end right. and and gives her like all the power of like you know that that just doesn't happen and we made a big deal of it on purpose in a comic way you know they're all like right you know is she allowed to do that you know the the yao line that he says totally yes Um, yes and uh you know it was but it was uh but then you know we also wanted to bring it back to the smaller story of like she did it for her father and so when she leaves the emperor and goes back home it's that poignant poignant scene under the blossom tree with her father where she gives him you know the sword of shan yu and this this medal she gets from uh the emperor and all the and he just pushes it away and says, no, the, the greatest honor and glory is to have you as my daughter. Mm. Those things don't matter. To, and I, I still get choked up, you know, when I, yeah. when I think of that moment and I think of, and I remember the actor recording that and uh, he put such mm. resonance and emotion, emotion. very yeah. kind of, you know, very Chinese static kind of unemotional way. He, he, there was so much behind it. And, and I still feel like that resonates today. You know, and it um, still chokes me up. Yeah. Yeah, ditto. I, and I just have a couple more questions. I, I know yeah. we're, we don't have tons of time here, but, um, and I do, oh, I want to land in the sort of the faith piece you've, you've brought up a couple of times um, and what it is to be a Christian in this um, craft and business and world. But I guess as a runway into that, um, I'm, I'm just curious, like how collaborative generally is the creative process as an animator, like the sort of balance between solitary work and kind of team magic. And has that a changed over the last, over your career? Um, and then especially since COVID is studio or generally trending towards more remote Mm. scenarios how does that all work yeah uh, 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 there's a couple answers there but um, for sure uh, for me personally I've had a lot of different experiences from working on big budget films like Mulan or Stuart Little 2 that were all in-house this is pre-pandemic but we were all in under one roof um, and that's certainly a that, that can be tough in a lot of ways because there's just so many more eyeballs there's so many more meetings there's so many more, just more intensity of you know the fact being inside in the middle of the factory you know and, yeah. and so it goes from being creative to sometimes on some days on the bad days it just feels like you know a grind and you're trying to get stuff done and there's so many voices in your head and, and it can be really difficult as a leader or director to to just do all that right and then um 
And then I've worked on smaller independent films where it's just been two or three of us that had all the creative say. And there yeah. was nobody like investors or or executives over us that had that we had to report to and or you know explain what we were doing for their approval. Um, and that was liberating and freeing in a lot of ways. Um, and then yes, since the pandemic, um, it's been amazing how um, animation adapted probably better than any other entertainment form, I would say certainly live action, because we were already kind of, you know, uh, sequestered in our little offices doing our work day in day out. So that just meant that just translated to like I was literally on Space Jam, a new legacy at Warner Brothers working on the main lot. And, and that was like February of 2020. And then in March, they told us all to go home. And we just literally had to pick up the, the, the computer on our desk and the Cintiq that we were drawing on and bring it to your basements. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the transition was within a week, we were wow. up and making the movie again. Wow. Without, you know, so that was one of the most productive times in animation because everything else shut down, but we were working like Crazy. really hard at home yeah. and all the artists uh, throughout LA and around the world and things really opened up where it's like, there was no reason to go back in a lot right. of ways since the pandemic. Um, it's, it's a little bit more a uh, hybrid system, I would say, but I don't know of any studios that are like telling people you got to come back hundred percent under the roof. You know, yeah. most people have, maybe a day or two they go in for meetings and, and that's it. And then they work from home the rest of the time and they become more productive and um, in some ways more creative. There's, there's a loss of, I do miss the, uh, you know, there's when we were all under the same roof, the roof, even though there was those jokey times, there was those times where you'd go by your friend's desk and see what they were working on. It just made, this was that creative environment where we were kind of all doing it and inspired by each other. Joyful, probably. Yeah, and a little competitive too. I mean, right. you know, oh man, look what Joe just did over here. I can't believe it. Oh, I gotta, I gotta make my scene. Up my better. game. Yeah. 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 I gotta, I gotta do do better on the next one. You know. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I well, on the sort of in the spirit of collaboration. Um, You've been so, I've noticed you've been so open about in many, just giving sort of credit to thanks to honor to God for your creative gifts as an animator. And yeah. there are just different things I've, I've seen you or I've read you've said about just, I don't think this would have been possible without the creative breath of this God that I worship. And um, I think this actually can be true for almost any profession, just in different ways or any craft or mothering a child or, mm -hmm. but I'm, I, I just love to hear you reflect a bit as, as a person of Christian faith. Um, how do you sometimes feel, and I mean this actually in a beautiful, humble way, not in a way of hubris, but is there a sense of like getting to co-create with God in the creation of worlds in mm. the um, artistic rendering of an idea in, in even interacting with a character you've created? Like, I'm just curious how it has given you insight into God's own relationship with us and delight in us <laughs> and all yeah. that. Boy, that's a great question. Um, and a deep one for sure. Something that I've thought about more in my adult creative life, I guess, is that I'm starting to realize um, 
you know, kind of the footsteps of, of God in my, not only in my life, but in my creative thinking. Um, and, and I, you know, it, what it really, it was kind of an awakening to me um, through another Christian animator um, who I talked to a couple years, uh, I don't know, maybe it was like 20 years ago now. Um, and his name is Glenn Keane. He's the, he was like the rock star at Disney. I looked up to him. He was, he's a couple, um, I don't know, I think a decade at least older than I am. And so he came before me and great Christian guy, but also like the best animator in Disney. And he created like Beauty and the Beast. He did Aladdin, Pocahontas, all the main characters. So that made him like, wow. he was the A-list guy uh, that did all the main characters. Christian guy, great guy. And he used to talk about how in Beauty and the Beast, the transition, uh, the transformation scene where he uh, Beast is dying and Belle says, I love you just before he goes. And then magically he transforms into, um, it's funny, I was just telling my students about this the other day, but magically he transforms into the human that he becomes and then they get married and happily ever after. Well, that transformation scene, when it came across his desk, um, and I've, I've thought about this so many times since then, I'm trying to put the same kind of spiritual overtone into my work. Uh, um, for him, it represented his transformation into becoming a Christian, accepting mm -hmm. Christ into his life and the, and the interchange that happened to him when he did that from going from a beast to a man kind of thing. Um, and so when he animated that scene, that whole sequence, he studied all the masters of Michelangelo and oh, um, wow. you know, uh, Renaissance uh, paintings and sculptures and things like that. Um, and, and he, he spent a month just digging deep into that, did all the shading on the drawings and created this wind effect that, it, that if you remember it, his yes. hair is blowing and stuff. It's, he heightened the level of that scene from what it was intended to be. The directors even didn't really expect what he was gonna do with it because he wanted it to be not only a special moment in the story, which it had to be, but he wanted it to be transformative on a spiritual level. He wanted to take it to another height. Um, and that was because he was a Christian. That's because he wanted to symbolize in some way what God meant to him in his life and the mm -hmm. transformation that he had experienced. And he put that into that Beauty and the Beast scene. So there is a way for all of us in the entertainment industry, for creatives alike, to acknowledge God in their life. Not only that, but also put that, um, that spiritual essence of what we believe and how we feel being close to God and having God in us into our work. Yeah. Um, when he told me that story, it affected everything I do after that, you know, mm -hmm. after that point. And I've started to realize that, I've done that from time to time, or I'm trying to do that more and more in how I think of my characters, the stories, the worlds that we build through those stories and, and have God affect all those things. Mm. Goosebumps. That's a beautiful way to end. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Um, yeah. If only we could all sort of refract to that own process in our own lives. Um, I think everywhere yeah. we go, just to, I mean, it's such a touch. It's so mysterious and it's so infinite in its steps. I think that um, transformation yeah. um, and in many ways we have multiple of them, I think over our lifetimes, but to be able to somehow ask for the grace to impart that logic in, in whatever we're doing. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while. So thank you. Uh, it's a real 
Thank you. Just a Anne. pleasure of a conversation. So yeah, yeah honor. I mean, we could do this Very for fun. hours. I know I we got a amount of time, but anytime yeah. you want to geek out on the Disney stuff, too, okay. just give me a call. Okay, thank you.